ride with me in my foul life. We travel a lot. We're up and down America's highways, byways, thoroughways, cornfields, dirt roads, back roads, country roads. Love seeing that dust in our rear view. Love looking over and seeing the sun set, the sun rise, mallard ducks pitching in to a pond in Kansas, a coyote howling in Wyoming, an antelope standing on the side of the road in Nevada. We get to do this all through Ford trucks. Corning Ford, Paul, Francis, the entire crew, the customer service, the service department, the selection, the dedication to excellence and quality, the number one Ford Super Duty dealer in the Western United States five years in a row. They're in the top 10 in the country and they're in a little tiny town, Corning, California. 5,000 people deep maybe, but the construction, the farming, the ranching, the almonds, the walnuts, the olives, the duck hunting, the fishing, the deer hunting and turkey hunting, predator hunting, you name it. Corning Ford is part of it. They support our lifestyle. Their pricing is so legit. They refuse to mark them up. Give them a try. They'll deliver your truck anywhere in the country. They've delivered them to Alaska, Florida, so many to Nevada, so many to Northern California, all over Arizona and Colorado. They've delivered three to Tennessee. They delivered one to Minnesota to our friend Andrew at Wild Acre Kennels. It's Corning Ford. They support the outdoors. And there's nothing better than a Ford truck. These 2023 Ford Super Duties, F-250s, F-350s, the one-ton, the long bed, the short bed, the tremor package. I'm telling you, nothing dry. It's like you're in a Cadillac. Watch your speed. Set that cruise control because sometimes you'll look down and be like, I'm not going that fast. Something's got to be broken. And you're pulling a trailer. And you got a leer topper on the back of it. And the bed of your truck is full. They're meant for hauling. They're meant for towing. Thank you, Francis. Thank you, Paul. Support the partners that support this culture of the hunter, the world hunter, the American hunter. They are all members of California Waterfowl, Safari Club International, Delta Waterfowl. They support them. They're conservationists at heart, and they love giving back. So let's give back to Corning Ford by checking out their selection and getting your next Ford truck. If it's a car, if it's the new Bronco, the new Mustang, the new F-150, I don't care. There's nowhere better in the country to buy your next Ford vehicle or Ford Super Duty truck than Corning Ford. Thank you all for supporting them. Blake is, um, his dad was so freaking awesome. You know, is it Gary? Greg. Craig. I've never met him. And that dude was, fr- have you been to Martinez Gun Club? Uh, yeah, a couple times. Yep, for like fundraising events. Yeah, they big time CWA. They're getting ready to do something called the Firecracker 4. Yeah, four hundred or something. I saw your guys' name on there on the banner. They already got the banner up for. Yeah, it's a little. That's bit. a July deal. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. Big shoot that they. I don't think it's a fundraiser. I think it's just a. I don't know. Yeah, just the passion that Greg has and what Blake has for shooting is pretty badass. Like mm-hmm. they, their their instructions great. They're all the different games that you can play there. I don't know if you guys have like paid attention mm-hmm. to all the Olympic style events, all the international style events, all the, yeah. all the, yeah. all the domestic events. And now they got Halise. Nice. Mm. and man, it's just like, it's great. You ever heard Blake's story behind his connection to us? I've heard the story of like, um, I've heard the story of, his like high school career and then the scholarship and how he's like the first nor or the first Californian to ever receive a college scholarship in the shooting sports. And then he's, he's 
got the 200 he's got several hundreds he's got a 199 mm-hmm. out of the, you know, like i've heard all that part but what are you what are you talking about with cwa no so he started um his first introduction to firearms was at the sassoon marsh field day our event oh he showed me those pictures so he is his somehow he ended up getting there with his, his dad brought him never shot a gun before um and and or he he hadn't shot a lot. I don't, I don't know if it's never or never a lot. Went over. We have a a station there where kids can come shoot for free. Trap and they have instruction. And he went over there and and first he he did he was doing the duck calling contest and then he spent all of his day shooting clays there and that was his buy-in to the shooting sports that started him on this journey that he ended up you know taking that up as his thing is obviously his parents his dad you know helped him and brought that you know put him into that and then he just started shooting started hunting and then obviously you know got a scholarship uh, to go shoot in college and and you know he's very involved with us still i mean it's it's pretty it's pretty cool he, he i mean he he owes you know a lot of what he's been able to accomplish you know because of that first experience he had you know yeah. it was, you know and it was he actually uh, rocky actually he got involved in the duck calling contest and won it the kid they have that kids calling contest yeah. so merlo was the the one on stage and and he ended up uh um you know, winning that, and 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 he blew his duck call, but then he also did the the, the whistle. whistle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was pretty cool. It was good. I just talked. To him. He actually just told me it last night. So it was cool to hear. You know, his, his yeah. Passion. He was showing me. He's got pictures of Rocky like holding, you know, holding the microphone up to the duck call, and those yeah. kids. You know, you got to hold the microphone up to because yeah. their volume's not yeah, yeah. really there. But yeah, he's he's got it all documented. And yeah. no, I remember. Dude can shoot. Oh yeah, yeah. Dude can shoot. I I remember that I was working that event when Blake as a kid came up and did that i i distinctly remember how long was that 15 uh, years ago probably yeah at least and well how old is blake he's got to be in his mid-30s right yeah i think he's mid mid early 30s and 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 it was when he was you know about 20 years ago oh, so, so he was my early 12. career at cwa early career how long have you been with cwa henley representing them for about 23 years yeah so either, either directly as an employee or also as a as their lobbyist pick that up a little bit so it's more direct um are you tell me about your background henley you work you do a government affairs you're yep. a lobbyist but before you become a lobbyist you have to get a law degree right so not you, a law degree you don't but have to have I, a law I do degree. have a i have a political science degree and then i got a master's in government and then i wor- worked down at the state legislature in two different stints before coming over to CWA as well as work for the Department of Fish and Wildlife. So that's kind of how I got my foot in the door with all this. So how what how big of a play is your passion for hunting for what you do? Like you got to have a pretty serious passion oh, for hunting yeah. and hunting rights and shooting rights because you could be doing you could be lobbying for another organization yeah. or I mean you could take it as far as you want and there's lobbyists for everything right sure no i mean if i had to lobby for something else i probably couldn't do it with a straight face so i mean that's why i consider myself totally blessed i get to you know advocate for stuff that i is part of my lifestyle it's part of what i do with my kids for half the year and yeah i mean that's who could ask for a better job where you're actually able to argue for what is your passion 
Yeah. So it's a good deal. Yeah, your passion's like right up there with one of your counterparts at SCI, Ben Cassidy. I just had he's him on the guy. podcast. We like were talking, him a lot. We were talking about you, and he's, I guess, I don't know if you know this, but maybe planning a trip out west soon. I don't know if he's talked to you, but he yeah. said he's coming out here soon. To, Hopefully we get him out and shoot some ducks. Well, I don't, I mean, it might not, it might be before fall, but I know that he wanted to meet with you and you guys and, and come here. Um, he's unbelievable. Like, I wish everybody in the world had that attitude and personality like the dude yeah. never has a bad day and if he does nobody knows it and he's just like when you see him at work and like i've been to dc with him and i've been to like whether it's a sporting clay shoot or another sci event the way that he interacts with people i mean the dude can he knows what he what's up man he knows how to really make somebody feel comfortable and talking to him and i just i've, I've known him for a long time and anyway that he, we were talking about you specifically the other day about what you do for CWA and how it's a direct correlation of pretty much what he does in the nation's capital. And I know that you've been back there many times working for CWA. Um, so one of the big things that we've had going the past 36, 48 months, four years probably now, um, is Klamath. And it's been longer mm-hmm. than that. But with with this winter we had and with this i mean it's rained here every day for 16 days in a row now i don't know if you guys know that but reno doesn't get that kind of rain we're on our 16th day in a row we see it driving in here your hills are green Uh, which normally they'd be very brown right does this help klamath and Thule naturally or are we still in 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 trouble because i know that it could just be one more year and a major drought happens again but does this get us out of the out of the gray area for a little bit uh, it's it's helping, and it certainly has been up there an above average water year. It has not been quite as good as it's been in parts of California, which have seen historic flooding and precipitation. But um, it's definitely a good water year. Now, the sad thing is, even with all this great water up there, the Bureau of Reclamation just came out with their water plan for this year. There's nothing for the refuges. All the other water users, the ag folks, the tribes, the endangered species all get a cut of water. There is no guaranteed water for the refuges. So that really just shows how screwed up that whole system is up there, how unbalanced it is. In, in a year like this, if you can't get a some kind of guarantee for the refuges of a, of a water allocation, then you know what is really going on up there. So I, I it's guess, disheartening. It really I is. guess I'm confused on how it could be from i think it was 1908 you guys correct me if i'm wrong it's the first waterfowl refuge system in the country lower klamath is the first waterfowl refuge correct through roosevelt Mm -hmm. so here we are over a century later and they don't the the department of the interior whoever doesn't understand the importance of the ecosystem of what forget the hunting part of it i'm talking like every mammal around that area every shorebird around that area every invertebrate around that area do they not get the importance of what that marsh brings to that part of the pacific flyway but more importantly the overall ecosystem like isn't it obvious like it's not just a slap in the face that you wouldn't get any allocation but it's almost ignorant in my opinion like what like do you guys not see what you're doing long term here yeah no i mean the certainly the u.s fish and wildlife service which owns the refuge they get all that and they see it um the the problem is it's just uh, yeah they're not taking an ecosystem-based approach it's single species management you've got the endangered species driving so much of the water use up there and unfortunately then the refuge the refuge's water needs are kind of kept at a lower level 
Um, there's other issues. Um, the refuge never had like any firm senior water rights. Um, that's a big problem. And it's also um, wasn't an, wasn't authorized to use water through the Klamath project. So you know the the Klamath project serves the the ag, ag users, but at the end of the day, you know the refuge can only get water then when all of the other ag users have gotten their allocations. So it's basically at the bottom of the bucket, bottom of the barrel um, in terms of. Uh, when it's going to receive its water, it's last in line to, to get water over all other water users in the base, basin. So with it being last in line and what we saw up there two years ago or two, three years ago, every year pretty much with the botulism breakouts, which is a bacteria caused by not enough fresh water in a place, the water becomes stagnant, the, the, the bacteria sets in. the in, soil. It's in the soil. Um, I think it was somewhere around 60 or 70,000 ducks and geese perish. This doesn't include shorebirds or, mm-hmm. and that's probably not even the yeah, full count. That. That's yeah. what, that's that what we were able to count. conservative number. Yeah. So that's not enough to make somebody go endangered species. My, you know what, like we're, yeah. we're taking a chance of endangering a lot of species. Yep. If this continues, that's a great point. I mean, that could lead yeah, to other species being listed and then you make the water problems even 10 times worse than they are now. So, um, you know, I, I think just the root of it is the Endangered Species Act is so inflexible. It does not take an ecosystem-based approach. It's all about single species management. Until that is fixed, this Klamath issue probably will never get fully uh, addressed. And, you know, there's been members of Congress that have tried to go back and amend the Endangered Species Act, and frankly, they've lost their jobs over it. So the likelihood of that happening anytime soon is, is uh, very low unfortunately what but in the meanwhile there are some other solutions out there and that's what cwa is focusing on we recognize that the politics and some of the legal issues up there are so difficult you know it's like banging your head against a wall to try to deal with those so we're trying to look at what are more realistic um, ways that we can actually get water to the refuge and so if if you want i mean i can tell you what that is it's essentially trying to work with willing landowners and there are a number of them up particularly in the wood river valley of oregon which is up above upper klamath lake that are willing to sell their water to the refuge and that it's not just the water but their actual water rights and so um, we would like to try to acquire those water rights it's going to take definitely tens of millions of dollars to do this over time and it's going to take a while to do it but once you have the water right you have a much more reliable Um, supply of water year in and year out. Um, This strategy was tried over at nearby Stillwater Refuge. You probably hunted out at Stillwater, I'm sure. Great refuge. Um, You know, it used to have really bad water problems 15, 20 years ago. Still has water issues, don't get me wrong. But the strategy there was let's go out, work with willing landowners, purchase those water rights, and then give them over to the refuge. And that has provided them a much more reliable um, supply of water and has helped them out. So we think a similar strategy can work in the Klamath Basin too with the refuges there. So with, what is the right now as we are going into summer of 2023, what is the outlook for this part of the flyway? Because it's more than hunting. It's molting. It's breeding. Oh, it's, sure. It's huge. Absolutely. Like, Every part of a duck's life cycle is affected by what goes on at those refuges. And it's arguably the most important part of the entire Pacific Flyway. So, 
Yeah, right now, um, Lower Klamath Refuge Unit Two has water, which is the main, you know, unit off the off the highway there, the main sanctuary unit, and that is frankly due to our efforts because we worked with a local agricultural district, the Klamath Drainage District, to purchase about 2,500 acre feet of water at a cost of about $150,000 to CWA's own coffers. Um, but that helped to fill up unit two. And so that's great that that habitat's there, but unfortunately it's the only habitat on the lower Klamath side, the only flooded habitat. Um, what's gonna keep water in that um, unit throughout the summer so that we can support locally breeding birds because you can breed a lot of birds in these wetland units it also provides molting habitat as you mentioned and the other even more important thing is if we can keep the water levels maintained any kind of waterfowl disease outbreak like botulism would be significantly reduced okay you got to keep those water levels up so we don't get these receding shorelines and these stagnant conditions that really uh, create problems with botulism so we have another water transfer going on that CWA is also paying for with the help of the state of California that is going to bring is currently bringing some water into that unit. We just hope that that water and those deliveries can be sustained throughout the summer because if they're cut off too early, then we're going to get this shrinking wetland and then the possibility again of of a really bad botulism outbreak. But really again, these Deliveries of water that were negotiated through CWA are the only sources of water right now for that refuge. You guys can both talk on this, Scott and Mark, but you have water in the Klamath Basin, some water right now. You have the ability over the next several years and tens of millions of dollars to get it fuller, to, you know, to make sure that it's consistent with the water levels. Um, Talk to me about the correlation of this refuge and then this for the listeners out there. This refuge is pretty much on the Northern California, Southern Oregon border. Is that safe to say? Oh, yeah. Okay. So half of it's in Oregon. Some of it's in California. Mm -hmm. Um, Used to be an unbelievable destination for a lot of hunters. Still could be. Tourism's down. The hotel business. I mean, all of that's been affected big time. As you venture south into another area of California, which is like the Honey Lake region, which is always dry. Right. And, but there's there's used to be so many snow geese and so many birds in that area. Then you get over the mountains and you drop down into where Chico would be in Durham and then the Butte Sink and the rice country. How how much has the the overall duck factory in just that area I just named? So pretty much the northern California border to the Butte Sink before you even get to the Sioux or the East Bay and then down, you know, down the coast of California how what what is the overall outlook of that area because it when you look at it to, compared to what it used to be it's obvious the change is there then on top of that you add in almonds and walnuts and olives sure. and, and and the cropland changing drastically the crp land changing drastically i know that we've 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 talked about egg restoration and the way that cwa works with local farmers and local business proprietaries to make sure that we protect as much as we can but man, isn't it going in a negative direction all the time with all of these? It's all negative. It's like drought. Mm-hmm. It's 
it's endangered species, it's salmon fishermen, it's ag, it's the tribe, it's Honey Lake has been affected hugely with, with drought and, and agriculture. And then when you get into the duck fat, which really where the mainstay of the ducks are, where we're, you know, the rice country and the Butte Sink, it just seems like that land continues to go to orchards. Are we in trouble in that area in the long run or is the outlook positive? The data show that we are, because if you look at the breeding mallard numbers over the last 25 years, one of the greatest declines of any region of the state has been the upper Sacramento Valley. So we know, like you said, the conversion over to, you know, tree crops has been a problem. We have some urbanization. We have other water issues. Farmers just don't leave the nesting cover out on the landscape like they used to. So there's a whole host of issues there. Believe it or not, the one part of California that has maintained its um, mallard breeding numbers, you know, compared to the other regions, is northeastern California. This is despite what has been going on up in Klamath. So we are still actually breeding quite a few birds up there. In a year like this, I'm sure Devil's Garden is going to kick out a lot of birds. Um, Modoc Refuge will have, you know, spring and summer water this year. There's a lot of breeding that goes over there as well and then you know you look at some of the lakes like almanor walker lake those things will be full to the brim and there's actually quite a bit of breeding that takes place over there too so i guess the one good thing is despite yeah everything that's been going bad at klamath other parts of northeastern california um, and again not including honey lake have been doing okay and so that's that is one bright spot um, but you know, breeding mallards in California, it's a statewide issue. We've got to look at, you know, other parts, Sassoon Marsh, even the San Joaquin Valley. Years like this, the Tulare Basin with all the water down mm -hmm. there, they're going to probably produce quite a bumper crop of ducks as well. You got the foothills where I live. Every farm pond in the foothills has water this year, as long as they don't have big largemouth bass in them. <laughs> you know, hopefully those will kick out quite a few uh, ducks and, of course, a lot of Canada geese. Um, so there are, you know, some bright spots there. What we're trying to do is look at, okay, where are then the biggest problems? And a big issue has been we don't have the nesting cover that we once had. That is a critical component to this. And so that's why, if you remember, last couple of years, we changed the law to increase the price of the duck and the upland stamp by $10. That funding, that extra money is all going to go to paying farmers and other landowners to set aside nesting cover near broodwater. So we want to make sure that these nest cover projects are in the right places and they're going to be effective. And this is the really the first year of that. And my understanding, we already have like a couple thousand acres of new nesting cover in the valley that will be, you know, available. So our hope is that over time, this new nesting program can really um, it's not a silver bullet, but it can really help to start reversing these downward trends that we've had in our mallard numbers. Get them back up to where hopefully we may ne never get them back up to where they were in the late 90s, early 2000s, but we can certainly recover them quite a bit. When, when you start talking about, Scott, this is for you. When you start, when you hear Henley talk like this about, to me, there is hope because of the water, there's water and there is breeding going on. There's a lot of negatives, in my opinion, but to stay optimistic, um, you know, they call hunters the ultimate conservationist. This is what CWA is sure. is so good at doing. Mm -hmm. Com compare what Henley's saying to the actual 
culture of duck hunting in California, which again, I'm going to throw some numbers out. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's always in the top three of harvest top five, at least sportsmen in the field with, with valid duck stamps mm-hmm. is usually number one. Mm-hmm. People don't know this in the country. No, nope. you know, they think Arkansas, Mississippi, Texas, mm-hmm. maybe Minnesota and Iowa and that Mississippi flyway. There's a lot of hunters in California. Do you see it on an incline? Do you see the energy and the, and the, the ideology of people getting involved in duck hunting. And I know that you guys have programs for new hunters, youth, women, on down the line, veterans affairs, everything. Is it safe to say that duck hunting is safe in California based on what Henley's saying with the duck factory, the the breeding, the molting, the water situation, the droughts, the crops, the almonds, the the almonds, I should say, or the walnuts? Yeah. Are we losing duck hunters, Scott, or, or is it growing in your opinion? I think I think the numbers will show that it's it's fairly steady. I think we had a little bit of a dip, um, maybe in the last couple of years, but pretty much the, the the desire for to get new people into the field and people that want to to hunt is out there. There we see our camps, our programs that we put out there over oversubscribed. You know, people that want to come and do these things, they want to learn. And let's face it, duck hunting isn't the easiest thing to get into. I mean, you have to know where you go. First, you got to get a shotgun, some waders, a jacket, all these things that cost a lot of money. If you don't have somebody that's going to grab you and take you out there, it's a kind of an intimidating thing to get into. To Big think to go out in the middle of the dark and stomp around in the marsh. And you know, gosh, I can remember when I was a kid thinking, first time in the marsh, well, am I going to fall in a hole and drown and all these other things? But I think the the desire for people to do it is there, and I. Think I think I think just as hunters, you know, for us as an organization and just as, as as people that enjoy what we do, we all have to realize that we need to drag as many people along uh, to and get them into hunting because let's face it, hunters equals conservation. Hunters equals dollars to do the work that Mark was just talking about. You know, going back to that, I mean, there are a ton of challenges in the state of California, let alone talk, you know, with the Klamath and then talk about the valley. You guys just named off a bunch of, think of a shotgun shell that throws out, you know, 100 BBs or whatever. And we're sitting here trying to pick off and help this one and this one there's a lot of issues that that we're trying to face not only for the short term to to have immediate success kind of going back to Klamath you know we were able to get water on that landscape that wouldn't have been there this year had we not just found got the donations the state of California stepping up to put that water down to be able to have have uh, grounds for the ducks to molt in and breed in and and in the short term and then the long-term solutions you know that's why specifically the klamath and even in the valley unfortunately you know mark can attest to this a lot of times there's not a short-term solution and and obviously you know as humans we want instant gratification and we want to know gosh it just rained a bunch why isn't you know thirty thousand acres of habitat flooded up there and it's unfortunate for a lot of reasons that doesn't happen but but back to you know the new hunters i mean I can't stress enough that, you know, the more people that we get into hunting, the better the sport will have in, in our kids' generation and beyond. Just because, let's face it, as hunters, we're the people that put the most money in the bang. Where, we, we put the money where our mouth is, right? I mean, we, we, we throw down the dollars uh, in, in a lot of, took take North American big game or in Africa or the ducks in the Pacific Flyway. I mean, the efforts for the conservation efforts from organizations like California Waterfowl, Ducks Unlimited, Delta Waterfowl, those 
those are the efforts that bring ducks in the flyways. And and really, when you go back to to if you want more ducks, you, you know, conservation, habitat, habitat, habitat. So, yeah, I, I think we have a good outlook. I'm I'm not a pessimist in the state of California. It's it's easy to turn that way when you look at. We haven't talked about the legislation side of things, but it's easy to have that. But I, I'm I'm optimistic about a future. If you look at you know other types of hunting in California, say like big game hunting or small game hunting those have generally been declining over the last 20 years but the one thing that has remained very steady Mm -hmm. has been waterfowl hunting so that's that's really good well look at it we have the most liberal seasons in bag limits okay but first off the first part of the question is it politics that adhere that stop people from hunting they make it too difficult so the deer hunters decline the varmint hunters decline i know the bear laws there i know the mountain lion laws there i mean it's it's an anti-hunting state in a lot of ways no doubt about that so is that why the decline in numbers and duck hunters are just staying prideful like why would those other numbers decline is it more private property and it's harder to get on places to hunt yeah i think that's part of it um you know we have just a tremendous waterfowl resource here and i think the the amount of opportunity we have to kill ducks um even with the cost of a private club i mean we have wonderful public areas that as long as you can you know get on that's a a little bit of a challenge at times you know you have a lot of different places to go there's a lot of different parts of the state where you can pursue that now as you guys know with big game it's just a lot harder i mean that's a private lands game for the most part and then just getting a, a decent tag is is very yeah, difficult at times too yeah but i think too i think a lot of it goes back to to as, as for the waterfowl community there's a 107 day season in, in california the longest season most liberal season i think in the whole u.s and i think you know us in this room we're, we're the top five percent probably of people that get in the field and actually hunt and to me a duck hunter is a person that goes out one time you know and i think there's just a lot of people it's a very social um thing to get into especially if you're fortunate enough to know somebody with a club or you go to a refuge and you somebody drags you there and you you know the, the aspect of the night before you know having cocktails with with friends having a good meal and having that experience i think it's it lends itself to more people i think that to do it somebody can give up a day or a two days to go to a duck hunt but you know a lot of times when you're big game hunting it's a week-long trip or, or or can be and so i think i think just having those types of people within our community you know everybody from somebody that goes out every year to somebody that maybe gets out every other year and i think that's one of the things that that we that showed with when the state of california started tracking everything digitally through the new uh, pls program the point of sale for the licenses they found that revolving in and out of buying a, a state duck stamp there were there's more like a hundred thousand plus people was kind of the number instead of the 75,000 of, of annual sales so it's just that that shows you that there's people coming in and out of the of, of it based on opportunity a C- couple other things too you know we have a very close re- our community waterfowl close uh, relationship with farmers and landowners mm-hmm. and that really helps i mean that gives you opportunities to do great things for the resource. It gives you opportunities to provide more hunting. Um, there's just a whole bunch of benefits there. We also, our group, because we deal with wetland conservation, we can go into legislators' offices and talk to them on a level that they're gonna understand. A lot of them are very pro-environment. They lo- love all the habitat work we, we do. They may not like that we're killing you know some of these critters, but they understand like, hey, you guys are putting far more back into the habitat than what you're taking from it. 
Um, And then as part of that, too, there's a number of groups like, say, the Audubon Society or Nature Conservancy that are also wetland and uh, bird conservation groups. We have great partnerships with them. And so we're maybe able to reach out to other groups that normally wouldn't be so happy about partnering with hunters um, because of the habitat work we do. And I think that helps our efforts then, our political efforts down at the Capitol. When you start talking about political efforts and advocacy, which is one of the, I mean, it's huge. I mean, a lot of hunters don't understand or even know what's going on behind the scenes. You know, as I travel, a lot of people, they don't know, you know, what's going on in Sacramento that is potentially... They don't want to know what's going on in Sacramento. <laughs> they don't, they, yeah, it's exactly right. They close their ears to it. Yeah. But it's all it, it, it keeps moving this way, and that's what they don't understand no, is that whatever's going on in Sacramento mm. pretty soon will be in Nevada and then in Arizona Correct. then in Colorado then in New Mexico. It doesn't then, stay here. And it's just it doesn't just stay here. And when when you guys are out in the field personally, are you both native Californians? Mm-hmm. Yep, born and raised. What is your outlook when you're out there with your kids and you're looking in the sky and you know that you just put in five days at the Capitol and you know what's coming up in two weeks and you know another bill just got introduced to legislature. Like, is it, do you have to drink a lot? Do you, do you you have to, Uh, do you take your work home with you a lot? Does it keep you up at night? Because you become so connected to this culture. And then when you sit there and you look at how beautiful it is, and how meaningful and fulfilling and therapeutic it is. And then you think about, oh my God, we got this coming up. They're fighting us on this. We got this going on. Another bill was just introduced. How how hard is it to keep going? How hard is it to keep the fight up? Like I talked to Uncle Ted. If, thank God for Ted Nugent. I mean, the guy's 74 years old. He don't need to be doing this shit. He doesn't need to be. Yeah. He's in media every day fighting for hunters' rights. Yep. Well, thank God. Does he go overboard a little bit? I don't know. He's so passionate and educated on it. I listen to every word he says. But how hard is it? Can you shut it off? Can you sit at the table with your wife and kids at night and be like, this is a great dinner? Are you sitting there just going, I got to get on my computer and freaking get an email sent? How hard is it to turn this off? Because it's never ending. Yeah, no, it's just part of your life. And you just come to an acceptance about that. Like, you know, this is a 24-7 type thing. And and that's fine. I, I accepted that years ago. I think the thing that drives me, and I'm sure for Scott too, I mean, we have kids and I want to leave this in a state where they can go out and pursue it and also with their own kids do it. And to me, if we're not at that point when I finally retire, I'm going to feel like I dropped the ball and I don't want that on my my conscience. Um, you know, to me, it's just about making sure that we can hand this now down to the next generation and we leave it in a better place than when we had it. Um, so, it, yeah, it's a challenge. There's a lot of bad things that go on down at the Capitol. There's days that I would like to pull out every single strand of my hair. Um, you hear some of the rhetoric down there and how there are people literally down at the Capitol that want to put us out of business. They are that hateful towards not just the hunting community, but even the waterfowl community. But, you know, I, again, look at all the positive things that we have been able to do, the partnerships we've been able to make with other folks. And I do think of all the types of hunting that are out there, I would say waterfowl hunting is the most secure. I really do believe that. So hmm, I, I'm, I'm an optimist. 
I think, yeah. you know, we're going to get through this. And as challenging it is, as it is in the state, as long as our messaging is positive and we're reaching the right folks, we have a, a more than compelling case to make. And if people will listen, um, our story will resonate with them. I really do believe that. I mean, just from the just from the habitat side and, and uh, quote my percentage here, Mark, if I have it wrong, but you look at the state of California and there's so much percentage of the land that's in public and uh, public lands for wetlands. But then the private ownership of wetlands in the state is 70 percent, so about two thirds or 70 percent. And, and yep. so you look at that and you say, I know this is logical and some people don't think that way in our state, but you look at the state that has two thirds of it in, in private ownership, wetlands, the, the ground that are migrating birds and waterfowl and, and water sp bird species, you know, shorebirds and all that, they need that, right? And if you take hunting away, those things don't happen. I mean, a hunter is not gonna, if they can't go out and, and, and utilize their, their duck club next year, they're not gonna spend the hundreds or hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to create that it's it's you know it's it's always eye-opening to talk to people that have a negative perception on hunting and then educate them on what it means to be a hunter and what we do a perfect example of this i know we've talked about this before is this college camp that we do we started this college camp through uc davis which you know uc davis is one of the most liberal schools second to berkeley and probably the state of california but we take these college kids who are going to be the next uh, in wildlife professions they're going to go into the in, in in support what we love right they're going to work in those industries and we take them for their first hunt and we, we take them up to Birdhaven Ranch. I know you've been there, uh, Paul Bonnerson's place up in the Butte Sink, you know, and, and we bring them in, we educate them, we get them their hunting license, and on Sunday they hunt. A lot and, of them have never even shot a gun. Exactly. And so we have everywhere from, you know, people that are vegan to, you know, various religion aspects, whatever. And when they understand, they get there on Friday and they go on the ranch and, and, and Paul gives a talk, and I know Dr. Uh, Dr. Edie gives a talk about what this place is and the money that's put into the habitat and, and how many birds use that, not just ducks and geese, but all the other beneficial species that, that are in wetlands. And then they start talking about, oh yeah, and by, by the way, off this ranch, we harvest X number of ducks, which is just, just a tiny fraction of the benefit to that land. It sinks into these people and they're like, wow, I had no idea. And that's, un, that's really the, the, the bang your head against the wall kind of kind of talk you have any you, idea what the retention for lack of better terms percentage is or retention rate on any of those college kids going out and getting a hunting license on their own the next year do any of them stay in the sport uh, well, in the space it, yeah absolutely i can tell you that, that one of them we hired uh, our current editor for our magazine, Julie Doe, she was a graduate of the UC Davis uh, camp, and she now is the editor of our magazine. And so, and hunt and, still, and she does hunt. Uh, and and there's other people like that. I don't know the exact percentage. One of the things that that we, our goal in in that, obviously, we want to create hunters. That that's great because once again, you're creating more people that that are going to believe in and and give money to the the resource, but. You know, it's also just to educate them. If and they, they can go back and tell the people, look, man, this exactly. is what we They've had that experience. When you have that, you don't forget that. No. You don't forget that. Your first time in a duck blind, if you shoot a duck, your first opportunity to shoot a duck. And then, you know, let alone, and then we talk about the, the desire to eat wild. I mean, that's a huge thing in our state. 
and all over, I think all over the country, right? I mean, people want, especially when, when COVID hit and you couldn't buy a burger, burger at the store. You know, I know as a hunter, my free, I was eating good. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, we were sharing it. Yeah. yeah. You want to know where your food comes from. You, sure. It's a great way to back hunters into the lifestyle or potential hunters is the food aspect of it. Absolutely. And the, and the creativity, mm-hmm. um, the sustainability aspect mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. I, I think that sustainability is a huge part of like the overall attitude of what we do is mm-hmm. how there's not another, there's not a cooler way to live. There's just not like people could argue that with me until they're blue in the face. But if you hone your skill set to be able to put food on the table and to share that food, and at the same time, you're giving back to grow mm-hmm. more food mm-hmm. and understand what all of these lands and these marshes and these crops and these it, what, what it's being utilized for and how it comes full circle that you're out there working with the farmers in their crops and the egg salvation and you're 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 helping them a hundred percent whether it's whether it's fighting for water rights whether it's going out and just helping them put up a fence in the summertime hunters are willing to do that you're working on that these animals are using that cropland they're using that agriculture they're eating it the food source that farmland is is tenfold like it's not just for a duck or a goose but you start talking about rodents and you start talking about insects and you start talking about deer and turkey and everybody every population and and wildlife that is taking advantage of that and benefiting off of it and then we go back to that farmer and we ask if we can have permission to hunt on that land and then you go on there and hunt on that land and you leave it looking better than you did which is the hunter motto right Mm -hmm. it's not their land they put it back up on the shelf for the next generation of farmer to use hunters are the same way we get to go on there we want to leave it better we we harvest and now we're eating that that food that was growing off of there we're sharing it and then you're putting the elbow grease back into the dirt it's like the, like I, that was probably confusing the way that i just said but if you look at the sustainability and the 360 degree encompassing effect of what you stated mark about relationships with farmers and landowners and how it all comes full circle what is there what better way to live i mean you're literally going in a in a in a in a, in a track of giving back taking a little sharing supporting honing your skill set it's it's there's just another cooler way to live that's why most duck hunters are unbelievably passionate about what they do you don't find like the casual duck hunter hardly anymore it's like you're into it full full uh yeah sometimes i don't know if it's passion or craziness (laughs) craziness (laughs) banded what it's become today started in 2011 and here we are 13 years later and look at where we've gone. We've, we have added Avery Outdoors, the iconic Avery Outdoors and Avery Sporting Dog, and the iconic Greenhead gear, the decoys, the accessories, to the Banded line, the Banded family of brands. Check it out at Banded.com. We innovated waders. We changed the way people hunt, and we're so proud of that, and we continue to innovate. Even though competition is strong and stout, they keep coming into the marketplace. We keep trying to be the leader, and we continue to be the leader. Our fabrics our innovation, our technology, whether it's windproof, waterproof, breathability, you name it, we're ahead of the game. We pay attention. We want to build what we want in the field ourselves. We hunt a lot. And you've heard the old analogy, built for hunters, by hunters. I get all that. It's been used a lot, probably too much, but we truly hunt every day. I was just talking to Eric and Christian. 
We're so excited about duck season for 2023-24. Turkey season's just getting ended. Our turkey gear was hot this spring. Our vest, our new Pathfinder pants, our shirts, our camo patterns, and Realtree. We value our partnerships. We offer in other camouflage patterns. But Banded has become the leader in waterfowl culture, waterfowl hunting, waterfowl apparel, waterfowl gear and with the acquisitions of avery and avery outdoors and avery sporting dog and greenhead gear the sky's the limit check us out look for us in your dealers over 800 dealers strong across the country mom and pops max Prewing, simmons final flight paducah shooter kittles in california reeds in minnesota i can name so many more mollies in maryland i can't name them all i want to name them all we are so honored to be part of our dealer base and have them support banded and i hope that y'all are too it keeps us dry it keeps us warm it keeps us protected it keeps us in the field comfortable longer and we're able to get consistent results out of it. And it's being tested now for gear that's gonna be released in fall of 2024. We don't just put it out to the market. We don't go to market without testing it and putting it through the ringer. This year, look for our new knee boots, look for our new camp shoes, all of our new arc welded waders, our zippered front wader, jackets that can't be touched, uh, the Califaction jacket, our number one seller. We are so proud of this brand. Add a gun case, arc welded backpack, a blind bag. It's that banded bee. Wear it with pride. We're so proud to call you an end user, a customer, a supporter. Check us out at banded.com. Like I said, we're not stopping now. We're just getting started, actually. This is going to be so fun. We're fired up for this year and 2024. Hopefully, we see y'all at the boat ramp or in the trees of Arkansas, the Missouri River, up in North Dakota, maybe up in Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. We're going to be all over the country. We hope to see you. Come and say hi. Live in that banded lifestyle. Thank you all so much to support Banded. Visit us at banded.com. Oh, yeah. They've, they've ruined my uh, life. Exactly. Ducks have ruined my life. I talked to my wife about that. Um, but, you know, you mentioned, you know, then sharing that food with others. To me, that's one of the best ways. If you got somebody that's on the fence about hunting or doesn't know a lot about it, feed them some good wild game. Mm-hmm. Prepare it the right way, of course. And that's, you know, a way to their stomach that they will then, you know, say, hey, I can do this hunting thing or I can at least support it and I understand the value of it. To me, that food aspect, that is one of the best ways to connect with non-hunters. They will understand hunting in a way they never have before by them just eating wild game and, mm-hmm. you know, doing that over a good conversation and a beer. I agree. And I think that the, you know, the barrier of entry into what we do is very intimidating. Like you touched on, Scott, about it's not easy. The, as, as far as being a deer hunter and putting on blaze orange and having one bullet in your gun and going out and killing a a buck or a doe i'm not saying that it's not difficult and i'm not saying that it's not awesome but duck hunting there's a lot of a a lot of pieces to this puzzle to be consistently successful and if you can show them that end game of that traeger full of specs and how it came to be that way and what it took to get there i think that that is like the coolest voyage of getting your first set of decoys getting in that boat for the first time saving up for a boat maybe saving you know there, there's so many parts of it and i think that if you look back on the timetable of your career and your hunting career and what it took to get to where you guys are at to be able to go out and call ducks and get them to react and have a trained dog that goes out and is a conservation tool and a great pet and a great friend and then the, your ability to educate and, and instruct it's not easy 
It's not like, oh man, I just woke up one day and I became good at this. It takes a lot of work, but that's the cool part about it is that if you stick to it and you, you know, like what you talked about with Blake and all of these programs that get people started, that's the first steps of a voyage that's never ending. I'm in my mid forties now and I am learning every day of, of how to be consistently successful as a waterfowl hunter. And there's different levels of it goes from like oh man the limit is so important and now i'm like no the conservation and the farming and the giving back and 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 farming for wildlife getting new people involved mentorship programs like cwa is so popular for i was in new york city i was in new york city in, in september just got done hunting the molt migration of canada geese in upstate new york pulled in to queens and we're filming with 9-11 firefighters and we're going to the firehouse and I'm looking around, and you ever seen Coming to America? Oh, yeah, really? It's like that to a T. I'm looking <laughs> around, I'm like, they're all like, what's up? Well, you know, they like, just cool. They're all interested in what's in the trail. I'm backing a 28-foot trailer into the firehouse, and, mm-hmm. and, and I'm looking around going, these people have no idea what, what we just did in New York. They don't even know that there's deer there. That concrete jungle, they never get outside of it. And I started thinking like, man, I wonder how they would react if they got to go out and see those Canada geese back flapping and the sounds and the dog and, and all that. Like, think about like how important mentorship is and getting new people. Well, a lot of, we take it for granted and it's so easy to take it for granted, but a lot of people don't even uh, know that it exists. They truly don't. They, and I'm talking about from the time they're eight years old to the time they're 30, they don't even know that these opportunities exist. That's why you hear numbers like 10% of the country hunts, 10% hates it. And 80% are kind of, well, yeah. they either don't know about it. They're on the fence. You know, they, there's an opportunity here to spread a positive vibe and, a, and, a, and a, an optimistic message that you can have a lifestyle of putting food on the table through honing your skill sets as a hunter. And at the same time, giving back to animals in more ways than any anti or any PETA member. And I mean, I'm maybe I'll get in trouble for saying that, but they don't know how much hunters give back. They don't get it that if it wasn't for hunters, would the Atlantic population of Canada geese be where it is? Would the would Rocky Mountain elk be where they are? Would turkeys be where they're at? No way. Hmm. There's no freaking way that duck populations and animal populations would be at where they're at. And then I'm going to end by saying this before I let you talk is that everybody bitches about us not wanting to open up the border until that problem gets in their backyard. Everybody is like the homeless are okay until Stephon Curry has a chance to put something in his backyard and he says no to it. Everybody loves white-tailed deer and says don't kill them until they go through your windshield in New York or they're eating every apple off your tree or destroying your garden, which happens on a daily basis. Now all of a sudden they're like, we need to exterminate these things. Well, what about the idea of management and like getting educated and voting with science instead of emotion all the time. Does that make sense where I'm going? It's like everybody wants to support something until it's their problem. I don't care. Don't kill deer. Oh my God. They're eating me out of house and home up here. We need to get rid of these deer. The one of the greatest singers ever hall of notes, Daryl Hall was famous for saying that I want to kill every deer in New York, but he's anti hunting. So what, like, that doesn't make sense to me, right? Like, you got to vote, you got to vote scientifically and, and not so much emotion based and understand that the hunters are the ones that are giving back to sustain all this. Is that fair to say? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was going to comment earlier, you know, that I've jokingly said this before, that you want to get, you know, some of these endangered species population levels up, put a freaking, you know, hunting tag on them or something, let them be game species, because then you will create a constituency of people that actually care about them and want to see them flourish. You know, we look at all the game species out there. Are any of them endangered? Hardly any. There's a reason for that. It's because people care, have a vested interest in maintaining very high populations of them. And if folks would just see that, hey, hunting, yeah, it does take a few uh, animals out. But we, again, put back far more than what we take. If they'd view it through that light, they would, you know, understand more Mark, of the, what would happen, the benefits that we bring to the table. What would happen, I wasn't trying to interrupt you, but yep. what would happen if we didn't manage, what would happen if, let's not even talk about predators. We don't even have to go into sure. the cougar population in California and who's killing the cougars mm-hmm. and how many dollars are being lost in tourism and taxidermy. And oh, I don't even, I don't, I, I don't, I could talk about that till I'm blue in the face, but what would happen? If hunters weren't given back, what would happen to these animal populations if we didn't take some out of the out of the population? Just look at Africa, right? Africa is a perfect example of that. They did away with hunting in certain regions, and the game populations declined because of disease, right? They can't partly. They, yeah, I mean, hunters and then were, poaching, poaching. Nobody was looking at the, the, no none of the people that were invested in in that as a business taking hunters out there were vested in anymore they didn't keep the poachers away they didn't care for the animals like hunters do it goes so that was just a free-for-all yeah i mean you know when you look at talking about you know living this lifestyle and, and getting to do what we get to do until you've woken up at four in the morning and sat in a duck blind at an hour before shoot time which is an hour and a half before the sun comes up and seen and heard the sights and sounds of what goes on in a marsh or in a in the woods or or you're not connected that that the connection that a hunter has to that environment that species is unlike it's you know looking if you're a bird watcher it's you have that connection somewhat but it's not the same right it's 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 just as a hunter you're deeply ingrained in that species okay so i want to touch on that because i I really do get I don't get emotional like I start crying, but like I'm really tied into that part of the day or, you know, I'm a nine to one hunter too. You know, I like, I like late morning mallards. So Scott, I'm not always in there at dark, but, um, real quick back to what I said though, let's, let's be in America right now. If we're not taking some animals out of this ecosystem and managing these populations, they're not going to flourish like the way they were. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And they're also going to create huge problems for farmers, uh, depredation issues. Um, You mentioned disease earlier. I mean, if we aren't managing them to a certain level, those waterfowl disease outbreaks will be 10 times worse. I mean, you got to keep them at a manageable level. And um, that's what hunting does. And of course, then the other benefits with hunting besides just being able to take home a meal is you know you're also by hunters traveling around they're supporting local diners supporting local gas stations things like that there's economic benefits for many of the rural communities where hunting takes place and of course we all have the stamp fees and the other license fees that we contribute to 
that those monies put more habitat on the ground than any other programs. Um, we have the most famous of all, the Pittman-Robertson yeah. Act. I mean, that has generated billions upon billions of dollars uh, nationwide since, I think, 1937. Self-imposed. Yeah, self-imposed. Hunters and sportsmen did that on their own back in the 30s. And, um, you know, it's arguably the most important wildlife conservation act in the country. That was all because of, because of sportsmen. And here in California, well, we're not here right now. We're in Nevada. But in our state, and I'm sure in yours, a lot of the habitat projects you see on your state wildlife areas and your other lands, I mean, those are funded through PR. And that money wouldn't be there if, if those PR funds, those excise taxes were not being imposed. When you, when you start thinking about the overall population of animals in our country right now would this be considered the glory days of wildlife are we seeing the amount of animals that they saw in the 50s and where i'm going with this is like you hear people talk about ma'am i wish i would have got to hunt during the glory of wild there's not a better time to be a hunter with the way that we can so it just depends on the species you're talking about. For waterfowl, it's pretty damn good right now, it's particularly in good. the Pacific Flyway. And the ability, and the ability to, with yeah. with the the tools we have, the the access we have, the the technology in our clothing now, and sure. and and the, the way we hunt, we the way we can stay warm and dry, and kids and women and men and stay in the field longer and enjoy it. Like this is a great time to get involved in this in this lifestyle. There's no better time for it. So when you start talking about all these key initiatives that have given back and you start taking some of these animals out of the ecosystem and out of these populations, could has it ever in the last 30 years, Henley, been overhunted? Do we overhunt these species at all? Is it possible to overhunt the species the way that our, 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 our laws are set forth? It's pretty tough. Um, they say about ducks that really harvest in the end has really no impact. You can, from what I've heard from the biologists, if you put too much pressure on the geese, you can have an impact there. But for ducks, it's it, with the seasons and bag limits and the frameworks we have right now and the number of hunters, they're pretty much impossible to overhunt. Pretty and much I, impossible. And, I, and mm -hmm. I know that sounds shocking to some people. And don't get me wrong, in California, we have a mallard decline right now, but you know, our view is that's completely habitat-based. That really has nothing to do with hunting. Um, it's all about the habitat at the end of the day for so many of these species. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and ironically too, you know, people also don't look at then what are, again, these benefits that hunting provides back. I mean, we have surveys where we scientifically, you know, the wing bee surveys where mm -hmm. people send in their wings. So we know what the health of those populations are, what the, the age structure is, those pieces of information. When there's waterfowl disease outbreaks going on, some of the first people to bring birds in are hunters. And so they can help to monitor that situation. Having hunting going on on the ground does far more benefit for those hunted populations than it does, again, in terms of the few animals that are harvested. And you know what, we take, oh, I think on average 15 to 20% of the entire pop duck population every year is harvested, but they are also so prolific and you know, given the right conditions, they can recover so well 
that's still even at that level of harvest it doesn't seem to have a negative impact on them are you are you just sorry so are you just making room for the next breeding cycle like you can't just not take some out and expect them to keep breeding that's when we start talking about overuse of the tundra overuse of the breeding grounds exactly yeah. so we like, have look exam- at snow geese. you yeah. have examples of that where yeah geese are literally destroying their own habitat and if something doesn't you know drastic take place in terms of removing them they're going to ruin that entire uh, ecosystem. They've up put there. no limits on them. They've put yep. you can use e collars. You can you can have no plug in your shotgun, and you don't even put a dent in them in the spring conservation season. Yeah, I mean, their snow geese are living until they're thirty years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are praying for good juvie hatches so they can kill some because they get so smart. You can't. It's hard to hunt them. Look at also the case of the Aleutian geese. I mean, there was down to less than a thousand on the planet back in the nineteen seventies. And they were able to do predator control on the islands that they bred, bred on, and that really helped them out. And today they're almost a nuisance. The farmers down in northern, northwestern California, you know, have a huge problem with them. Um, they're causing massive uh, depredation issues for them. And you know, the seasons and bag limits on them now are as liberal as they've ever been. So it just shows, you know, you manage these species correctly, they can rebound tremendously and they can uh, at some point become overabundant and a problem. Um, But that's a good thing. I mean, hunting again can be that controlling factor if we use it the right way. So when you start talking, did I interrupt you? Did you have something? Well, I was just going to add to the, back to the whole, you know, hunting and and killing it, you know, two things in, in, is that waterfowl in the whole U S is the most studied, studied species, right? I mean, the the most, the most science on ducks than any other species. And so you have to understand, and this is a hard thing for a hunter that sees, well, you're shooting out of the sky, you're killing it. Hunting is considered a compensatory. Compensatory means that it's not additive and detrimental to the species. Every year when our season links and bag limits are set, there are certain variables that, that they look at as part of what's going to make up that 10 to 15% or whatever the total number is of birds that they're expecting to lose out of out of the flyway and it, it's from predation it's from hunters it's from a lot of factors that go into that and but as hunters we're just taking off it's kind of like just taking off a little bit of that and we're part of that equation so when when all these things are factored in and you can't oh my gosh you can kill seven ducks and you can kill 25 geese in the state of california people look at those numbers and it's like well all those numbers are factored in and even with those season lengths and bag limits it's not additive it's not hurting the population not to mention you can have a a limit like on sprig that's a, a federal limit because you I mean, you yeah. could kill way more than one sprig a day in well, California and be okay. I mean, there's a good, but example. there's other parts in other yeah. flyways that you never, you know, that you couldn't. So there, there's all, there's all these laws and regulations that are set forth to protect the overall population of these birds. It's not like you're just going out there in an ignorant manner and mm-hmm. saying, Oh, we can kill seven ducks, 10 specs. Th- these things have been studied of how it's going Absolutely. to protect that, that and, and create longevity for that population. Yeah, it's all done through adaptive harvest management, and it's like every year they look at the numbers, they look at you know what impact, if at all, hunting has, has had, and they can adjust from year to year. And w- this is also not just done at the you know national and at the flyway level, but the states also have the opportunity to weigh in and to you know manage the resource so it's a great kind of state federal partnership that goes on in terms of waterfowl management 
And I, I think getting back to kind of what you were saying at the start, you know, as we have these other parts of hunting in California that maybe aren't doing so good for, say, big game or small game, they just don't probably have the resources and the number of people looking at those species as we do for waterfowl. As Scott mentioned, waterfowl are the most studied of all the species and probably have the most resources dedicated to them. And it's because of all of that, because of the work with the private landowners, because of the stamps and the fees that are generated for funding, for conservation, for scientific study, that we have it so good here. So the big thing in the in the long term is really is going to be maintaining the habitat. We've always got to go back to that. If we don't have the right habitat, if that habitat starts declining, that that habitat base, then we are going to have to ratchet down our seasons and bag limits. But if we can maintain ro- robust habitat conditions, we can sustain this. I'm really confident of that. I love hearing that. We're going to bring Mark and Scott back for another episode soon. I'll probably come down and visit you guys. We need to talk about the delayed wheat program. We need to talk about the rice levy program on our next episode. We are going to touch again on part two with Mark Henley and Scott Mueller of California Waterfowl Association about um, the dollar, the the money generated through outdoors and hunting and a great a great example of how it can affect human beings and communities is Canada with COVID North American Americans from the continental United States quit going North because of the mandates 51% of Alberta or Saskatchewan. I can't remember. Don't call me on that. I believe Saskatchewan outfitters didn't renew in 2021, less than that in 22, these farm towns, these communities up there, the hotels, the money being spent in those cafes, it was all gone. It affected people drastically of hunting and fishing not taking place in Canada like it once was. Now it's starting to come back, hopefully, because they've opened up the mandate. So we're going to touch on that more. But I want to I want to end this episode of the Fowl Life Podcast um, with CWA on the longevity of the culture of hunters working together. There's this huge thing in hunting right now called infighting and ego. Okay, <laughs> it's got to stop. It's so crazy. To think through social media, you have the right to criticize and judge like the way we do now. And it's nuts to me. Just the push of a button, you could say, you're an idiot because you didn't keep the fat on your duck when you cooked it. Well, how do you know that I didn't take it off before and I rendered it and I got it in my freezer for tater tots later on? You don't know. Just stop. So my question to both of you I'm going to pose before we leave is there's public property. There's a lot of private property in California. People want to get into the sport. They want to get into the culture. They want to be a duck hunter and a goose hunter. Well, it might be hard to draw. Might be hard to draw at one of the refuges. Okay. How how do you guys say, don't get mad. Don't judge. Don't talk smack about somebody because they're having a great day up here in Chico that you saw on social media. You don't know if it was a great day. They might have edited it to be a great day. Everybody's living their best life in this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's social media is tough in hunting. Um, infighting is tough. No, we don't want veterans to be able to hunt a week early. No, if you shoot a crossbow, you stay out of here. No, you can't do that. You don't jump shoot. Don't pass shoot. Don't you got to, you know, there's all these different, if it's legal and it's ethical and you do it with good manners and respect for the resource and compassion for the animal, it's good. But what would you tell people? How, how can you give them confidence that, yeah, you can hunt. You can be get involved. You can be part of this, but 
with the, the level of entry and the barrier of entry, with the intimidation factor, then on top of it, all this infighting, we got to stop and work together big time. We got enough antis. We got enough people against us. You guys yeah, both we, agree with that? Oh, yeah. yeah, we don't have the luxury of being divided in the state. So nope. how you've seen division in hunting. You uh -huh. see the comments. How, how, how do we get some protocol going on to where we become tighter through CWA, through California waterfowl hunting? through Kittles, through Turner, whatever it is, how do we get buttoned up more as a team and stop this infighting in your guys' opinion? Does the question make sense? Does it, do, do we have, is there a way that we can get rid of the jealousy and the envy yeah. that's, that's painted through social media that's so easily accessible now? Before 10 years, 15 years ago, you didn't know what Rocky Merlot was doing on a daily basis. He didn't have now it's like well damn rocky got him again today damn scott got him again today like it's 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 accessible now to see all of this and it causes a lot of jealousy mm -hmm. it's got to come to the point to where we're, we're not we don't need jealousy we don't need envy we don't need infighting i want everybody to understand like we are a very small a very small army, I guess you would say. We're a minority we're, within a minority. A we're, minority we're, we're less than, the hunters alone are less than 1% of the entire California population, which is, by the way, the worst of any state. 1%, yeah, less than 1%. Yeah, and then if you take, then you cut off duck hunters, that's a fraction of that too. So, yeah, it's like we need to all try to support each other, get on the same page. You know, I always have felt like one of the best ways we can give back and really get to know fellow hunters get more new people into the sport if everybody every season would just try to find one new hunter and yep. take them out and if we all did that just over time what a difference that would make and but it's all about these mentored as you were mm -hmm. saying scott activities we gotta you know bring people out show them how this is all done show them how enjoyable it can be introduce them to the whole culture of waterfowling if everybody did that just with one person per year, I think that would ultimately make a difference. So, you know, CWA again has some wonderful programs to to help younger people, younger hunters out or new hunters out. Uh, we also, as you mentioned, we have a wonderful public hunting, um, you know, uh, group of lands out there, refuges and state wildlife areas that are available. I would also then say to people, just don't get um, too frustrated with that system. Eventually, you will get a draw, and you know you will be able to access some of these areas. But that's a great place for people to start their hunting. Um, typically, the way it's done is people cut their teeth on the public areas, learn those, become adept at that, and then maybe later on in life, when they get a little bit of money, they can join a private club and then take it to that level. So that seems to me like the logical way for a lot of people to kind of get into hunting and then really become a full-fledged hunter. And through the program, Scott, you in this by, you can do what Henley just said, right? You, you could become a member of Cal Waterfowl and, and, and get, there's programs to where you could go hunt sure. on your guys' yep. properties that have either been donated or that you've raised the monies to purchase to, to, because a big part of it to me is the instructional part of it of how to do it right. Mm -hmm. how to judge the wind, how to put ripples on the water, how to make that chocolate milk, muddy water effect and look like dabbling ducks are active in there, how to hide, how to conceal, how to use shadows. What does clouds do? What does sunshine do? Like there's so many different parts of it. Book a hunt with an outfitter, save up, go learn, ask questions, 
Yeah. Calwaterfowl.org is the website. There's all these programs available, becoming a member. But more importantly, understand that there is a support system out there through Cal Waterfowl and other agencies. Delta's doing a great job. DU's doing a great job. But out here, I don't think I've ever seen anything more powerful than California Waterfowl in all of my travels of all of the different pieces of this puzzle that you guys are involved in of giving back to the hunter as well as bringing new hunters into it. So calwaterfowl.org become a member, and then get involved in these programs, right? Absolutely. I mean, you said it right. I mean, the, the programs we have, we hunt over 2,500 people a year through our regular hunt program, over 2,000, over 500 veterans and active duty men we take out, men and women out every year, free of charge. And, I mean, those programs are great because, obviously, however, if you're interested in doing this or you're a hunter, and like Mark said, get somebody into it. But if you're interested in it, find somebody that does it and, and start there through our programs. Like you said, they're great opportunities. There's not just the hunt program, which I mentioned, which is a, a draw system. And if you get drawn, you can hunt on a blind. And we have over 5,000 acres in the state of California. And um, and it's, it's just a great experience. Decoys are provided. We've got Avery Greenhead gear decoys in every blind, you know, whether it's a boat or we're taking you out it's a it's a good first experience it's a hassle-free experience you don't you have your designated area the generally the hunting is pretty darn good on these properties um we're all the way down in the in the, in the current area and out of the uh, down in that area all the way up to the sacramento valley these properties are spread out you got to go to our website check it out somebody has to go it's a five dollar application fee and uh it's, it's it's a great opportunity and then i would just also you know encourage that but then there's also education programs that we do where you can go to these properties during the off season or during the season and learn you know jeff smith who runs our programs carson ogadard they they do a great job of getting new people in through these programs and whether it's the kids the adults the veterans um there's a lot going on a lot of people don't understand the opportunity and how much how much reach our programs do have as a really a small organization and you don't have to live in California to get involved. You have nope. to understand what CWA is doing and how, how it supports hunters, shooters, conservation, advocacy, populations of waterfowl. You should be supported no matter where you live in the country. And here's another thing I'm going to say is a lot of people are leaving California and moving to Boise, Idaho, Reno, Nevada, Austin, Texas. It's one of the cities you hear a lot that a lot of you people are moving to. Are non-residents welcome in California to hunt? Absolutely. Then I would urge people, if you've been to North Dakota and you've seen a snow goose grind, if you've been to South Dakota and seen a mallard duck grind, if you've been on the Yellowstone River in Billings, Montana, and seen the amount of ducks coming up over a heat pond in that area, if you've been to Arkansas and seen mallards over the flooded timber, if you've been to Texas and seen teal in El Campo, I don't think you'll ever see anything like sprig you could walk across widgeon you could walk across speckle belly geese until you can't see any further snow goose populations that are through the roof the hunting is absolutely amazing for waterfowl so if you are thinking about going somewhere besides flying into stuttgart arkansas or little rock and driving to the grand prairie or going to the eastern shore i mean it's only two geese a day there maybe one still one mallard a day you can kill seven mallard ducks seven widgeon a sprig there's other uh, don't get me wrong there's a ton of different um species of ducks the speckle speckle belly goose hunting is the best in the world hands down it might even be becoming a speck state now i don't know but i've never seen anything like it and i've hunted specks in texas louisiana mississippi arkansas the speckle belly hunting is the best in the world snow goose hunting is like i've never seen in my life in the regular season 
So if and you the do, limits on those are through the roof. Through the ten, roof. Ten so on the spec. Get in a plane and fly to Sacramento and rent a car and drive up and hunt in California. Experience it because you never ever see anything like it. I go back there because of the numbers of birds. I don't even need to shoot at one. But when you get in, when you get into Wood Woodruff Road, what would you call that part of the the the, the, the where I'm talking about? You know where Woodruff starts by the Wills, the is it Wilson Ranch? Uh-huh. The Richvale area. Yes. Yep. No, not Richvale. I'm talking Woodruff like. Like when you're coming down into uh, District 10, like that would be District yep. 10. That'd be the yeah. beginning of District 10, really. Correct, dude. You never seen anything like it. The swans, the specks, the sprig. I, I don't know how many times I've pulled over in my 40s to just sit there with my jaw on the ground. I've been all over the world hunting: Uruguay, Paraguay, Argentina, Peru. I don't know how many states. I think I got 13 left, 12 left in the United States. I've hunted in Ontario and Manitoba and in Alberta. I've been in the great all over Saskatchewan. It's hard to beat California in the winter. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. You don't see this stuff in a lot of places in the world. You just don't. It's a spectacle. So if you want to do yourself a favor, get on a plane, fly into Sacramento, rent a car, and go hunt with Merlot. Go hunt with an outfitter in California. Get involved in CWA. Call, reach out to Scott. Can they can they get you direct info at calwaterfell.org? Yeah, calwaterfell.org. Ask any questions you want. They'll give you advice on outfitters. They got recommendations on the refuge system. They'll have instructions. I would do it. It's freaking unbelievable. Is that fair to say, guys? Absolutely. It is. We have some of the best waterfowl hunting in the United States without a doubt. If not the best. Yep. If not the best. It's unbelievable. Mark Hanley, thank you. Scott Mueller, thank you. Any closing words before we go eat mm-hmm. some unbelievable tacos? Well, I'm a big guy, so I'm hungry, so I don't have many words. No? But thanks for having us. No, it was great to talk. I mean, we always have great conversations. I just hope, you know, people listen to this, just, just understand that, you know, there's a great community to belong to. We need to stay together. We need to spread the word, and we need to recruit. Recruit. Amen. For Mark Hanley, Scott Mueller, California Waterfowl Association, go to calwaterfowl.org. A lot of good banquets. We didn't even touch on the banquet system and how awesome those are with the camaraderie and the socializing and the culture and the energy and the focus on the animal, the ducks, and who and giving back through their banquet program. It's great. Get out to California, hunt it, get involved in a banquet program, get involved in advocacy, conservation, and any of the great programs that CWA is offering. The Fowl Life Podcast, today's episode brought to you by California Waterfowl Association and Merlot Waterfowl. Rock, you do a great job thanks for everything you and the crew does cwa thank you guys we'll be back with another episode of the foul life podcast in the meantime this is 2am logic the song is called my foul life in the air, in the air.